0: Have you ever been asked to do a task you kind of knew you weren't equipped to do? And what we're going to discover as we look through the book of Acts is that's exactly the, the sort of context that God uh, has given, gives to the early, early church and gives to us. He's given us a task that in and of ourselves we can't do. And yet, we're going to find out that he gives his Holy Spirit, he gives a gift to his people to enable them to do the task they're asked to do. And we're going to discover that, it's a, that when they receive the Holy Spirit, they, they receive all sorts of different realities that that wouldn't have been there. I mean, rather than fear, they, they become bold. Uh, rather than tripping over their words, they become able to express the deep things of of God, uh, where they had misunderstanding, they got to to receive uh, clarity, where they were unable to do uh, supernatural things, as in like um, cast out demons. We're going to see that these guys receive power from on high that enabled them to test to attest to the reality of God in their lives. And so one of the reasons I wanted us to study through the book of Acts is so that we can slow down a little bit as a church and ask just some very simple questions. Who does God want us to be? I want us to be able to look at the plain text of the Bible and to ask the question, what does that mean for us Today? What does it mean? Is, is the same reality that the, uh, the early church experience, is that the same reality that he wants for us? And when it says they devoted themselves to prayer, what, what does that mean? I, I want us to ask questions of ourselves. Are we devoted to prayer? What does it mean to be devoted to, to prayer? What does it mean to live generous lives? Of course, I'm not suggesting we copy and imitate every way that they did it. We have to ask the question, what does it mean for us today? But I think in Acts, we're going to see this radical community of God committed to the work of a global mission, ready to do what God is asking them to do, to throw aside all the things that hindered. Why? Because they were so in love with Jesus They were so beholding Jesus that they said, let us do what he says. Let us be the people of God on the mission of God. And this is some of the ways it looks like. And we're still a, a young church, particularly as we've come out of COVID over the last year. We are asking those questions again. What does it mean to be the community of God? What does it mean to be Second City? Now, I want to be clear. You know, the mission of Second City is really just part of God's global mission. God is committed, as we'll see in this passage, to see all nations hearing about salvation in Jesus' name. And we're just a little local part of that. Yeah? So we're not getting grand ideas above our stations. We're, you know, it's about our church taking over the world or taking over the city or just taking over the, the centre. No, no, this is, this is just about us saying... What do you want us to do? We're here. We're willing hands. We've got willing hearts. We want to be transformed. We want to be conformed into the likeness of Christ and the community of God. What do you want us to do? And I think Acts is a great provocative book for us. But we don't come to it like a cold study, do we? You know, It's not like we're just going to read the text and say, oh, let's just do a case study on the early church. No, there's a dynamism here. There's a power here, isn't there? There's a reality here that we've got to take hold of. This is not just a cold study. This, this is a, a, an, a, a spiritual engaging with what God wants to do for his church, which is us. Um, now, just to give us a little bit of context um, to the whole book of Acts, we're going to watch half of a video we'll maybe next week or the week after or whatever we'll watch the second part uh from the bible project this just gives us a little bit of an overview um so we'll watch it on here and then we'll come back
1: one of the earliest accounts about jesus of nazareth his life death and resurrection was written by a man named luke we know it as the gospel of luke but luke continued the story in a second volume called the book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power, so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It is like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival during the early summer. And thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world. All these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body, that is his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before. Yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they are introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it
0: must have been... Watch the rest of it if you want to, um, and um, we will uh, dig into more of that story. If you've got your Bibles, uh, let's uh, turn to Acts 1, to 1-11. If you've got your phones, let's get it out. We're going to be in the text, and whilst you're doing that, let me just say a couple of things about the way in which we might be, as we're gathering together on Sundays, what might be taking place. Over this next term, we're going to... Um, Try and do a number of different things to equip us um, as God's people. We're going to be absolutely committed to be looking at the text, okay? Uh, But sometimes it might be a little bit more uh, uh, like we normally do, which is a sort of teaching and preaching. Other times it might be that there's a little bit more interaction with us together in discovering what God's there. Sometimes it might be a little bit more experiential in the sense of just us say, okay, well, it's telling us to... To to pray. Okay, what does it mean to pray? Well, let's pray. Let's uh, let's spend our time doing uh, what the text is asking us to do. Uh, so over this next term, we'll just be sort of experimenting a little bit. Uh, I pray that um, that you'll enjoy it. I pray that uh, it will be something that you find encouraging. Because ultimately, what we want to be do, we want to be equipped as God's people, don't we? God is. We're coming together to be equipped uh, by the power and the presence. Of, of, of God. Let's just look through this text together, and I'm going to give a little summary, understanding of it, and then we'll sort of dive into today's teaching. So we, what we see is, we, we start with, um, in the book of Acts, this continuation of Dr. Luke's account of Jesus' life, and in verse 1, he, he, he says, you know, in this former book, Theophilus, I, I wrote about... Uh, that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So we see here, this is a continuation. There's something about Jesus' ministry that is not finished. Uh, Not just Jesus' ministry in terms of his ministry to disciples, but his global ministry, we're going to see it's continuing. And and that is why Luke is writing. He's saying, there's more to be said about this. I want you to know about these things that have taken place. So you aren't fooled that the ministry that I talked about ended when Jesus died. Then in verse 3, it tells us that Jesus particularly continued his earthly ministry over the next 40 days as he taught the disciples. It says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke to them about The kingdom of God. So, a couple of things that are important here is to recognize that Jesus wanted to pass on something about the kingdom of God, the place where he rules and reigns. He wants these guys to know and understand how everything fits together in this new kingdom that he wanted to bring and how he was the king, and only through him could this kingdom grow. I don't know what it would have been like to have been there when the risen Jesus um, is teaching you. It probably would have been the best Bible conference there ever was. Um, but he wants them to know things. He wants them to understand things. He wants them to be clear beyond any shadow of doubt. Like he says, there's many, he wants to give them... Uh, convincing proofs that he was the one that they were waiting for. And it's clear from what we read in the, the, the rest of the, the book that, that Luke writes that they, they are convinced. Jesus is the true Messiah. And then it says that on one particular occasion, this is on, in verse 4, while he was eating with them, which suggests that They met many times, and he had a physical body, and he ate with them. And it wasn't just that he was a spiritual ghost who sometimes took human form, but he was the resurrection, a physical resurrected being. Uh, And he ate with them, and he gave them this command. He said to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you you have heard me speak of. For John the Baptist, uh, John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So, their job is to wait. He wants them um, to understand that what he's going to ask them to do is not something that they can do in their own power. No, uh, something has been promised to God's people. That's that the Spirit of God would dwell in them, as we saw in that video. The Spirit of God would dwell in them. And he says, you've got to wait. You've got to stop. You've got to be still. You've got to recognize that you need something. And it's a gift. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. And it's been promised. And now you're going to receive it. And this idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is this idea of being fully immersed by the Spirit. Yeah? that the Spirit is going to to uh, uh, cleanse them. The, the Spirit is going to dwell in them. The, the Spirit is going to unite them to um, the Father and to, to him, but also to all God's people. But then they ask him a question in verse 6 that kind of shows they don't quite yet get the kingdom of God. Interestingly, he's taught for 40 days, and though they understood a lot of things, they clearly couldn't get out of their minds the restoration of Israel. He says, they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Their vision of God's kingdom is still too small. They think the kingdom of God is the kingdom of Israel. It's just one and the same thing, isn't it? I mean, people can join our kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, as proselytes. But isn't that what you came to do? I mean, we know you're not doing it in the same way we thought. You're not riding and, and kicking out the Romans. But when are you going to restore this kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus basically tells them, it's none of your business uh, when these things, but here is your business. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father set by his own authority, but here's what you do need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. He's essentially telling his disciples, this is your mission. You want to know, you want to know what you need to be thinking about? You want to know what's going to be on your mind? Forget, forget the uh, restoration of of Israel, Forget uh, earthly kingdoms rising and falling. Forget all those things. You've got one thing that you need to be doing, which is being my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And then this passage ends with them totally enthralled and confused and bewildered. At the glorification of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, so bewildered are they that, like watching like a child watching watching a balloon disappear into the sky, uh, that some angels need to come to them saying, "Why are you still staring? He's gone. You know, he's gone into heaven." But they were amazed. They were beholding the risen Jesus. They couldn't take their eyes. Of what was taking place and the angels say to the men of Galilee why do you stand here looking to the sky this same Jesus who's been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven again they do not know the times they do not know the dates But they do know from what they have been taught by Jesus. He has gone for a while. He's going to leave them a helper to help them. And then he is coming back. And we could spend some time looking at that another time, that he is coming back from heaven. I really want to just focus on verse 8 for us, okay? I want to focus in on on verse eight. Because I think this is significant for us, we are God's empowered witnesses. Okay. Look at verse eight. But you, now we know when he's talking to you. Okay, uh, it isn't just the apostles. Okay, so we could this say, well, it's just really the apostles. No, he says, No, you will receive power. We know this is true. Why? Because uh, in a few, uh, you know, in the next chapter, we're going to see the Holy Spirit come down on all the people who were in the upper room waiting, praying. It wasn't just the apostles who received power from God. No, uh, it was all those people who were there. So you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and it will come on you, and you will be my witnesses. It's very clear. Who, who is God's witnesses? It's me and you. It's these guys who were beholding Jesus. We, the ones who behold Jesus are his witnesses. The ones who love Jesus are his witnesses. The ones who want to serve Jesus are his witnesses. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20. Now, I wonder whether somebody... Well, I encourage us all to turn to that. 2 Corinthians 5. 5, 17, and 20, maybe somebody could read this aloud for us. That would be great. I've got a mic here that we can stick on. Who wants to read that for us? Is, are, are you, uh, brilliant. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 17... We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, I just want us to see, uh, beyond a shadow of doubt, the task that he's given us. Okay? It says there in verse 18, uh, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we know from what he's just said, it's Jesus who does the reconciling, okay? But the ministry of reconciliation, well, what is that? Well, it's taking the message of reconciliation and presenting it before others. We see the same in verse 19. What does it say? He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So not only the the ministry, but he now describes it as the, the message of reconciliation, and he has committed it to us. Again, verse 20. He says, therefore, you are Christ's ambassadors. It's kind of another way of saying witnesses. An ambassador is one who represents is represented on behalf of someone else and comes with the authority and the power of the one they represent. Obviously, limited uh, it's not every um, power and authority that they, they, they have, like a, a normal ambassador would have. But nonetheless, I want to say, he uh, says, um, th- as, as through God, we are making his, uh, his appeal through us. So through us, he is making his appeal. So he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. And through us, he makes his appeal. Do you see how clear this is? If you want to know what God's asked you to do with your life, he's asked his church to be his spirit-filled witnesses. But what is the, the way of the witness? Which is the path of witness? Well, we're going to see here in this, in this verse, uh, and I'm going to sort of extrapolate the implications of this, that they were to go to Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And what we're going to discover through the book of Acts is that the first Spirit-filled witnesses, they are going to need to do three things. They're going to need to surrender, suffer, and sacrifice. Firstly, we must surrender to the call. This is a call, isn't it? I mean, Jesus isn't literally going to make them do this. He's calling them to do it. And, you know, these guys probably have all other plans. Maybe some of them had businesses. Maybe some of them had uh, um, responsibilities at home. Uh, This is a call. You will be my witnesses. And he describes where it might be. He says, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. If we're going to be his witnesses, we have to surrender to this call. Surrender means to yield power, to yield control, to yield possession, okay, on the demand of somebody else. It means to give up oneself to the power of another, like with a prisoner. So, we are to surrender, to give up, to give up to the direction of, of Jesus, to give up to the purpose of Jesus, to give up to the control of Jesus. The Christian life cannot be fulfilled without surrender. Now, here's the great thing. We're not surrendering like a prisoner (laughs) to somebody who is not kind or compassionate or generous or able to help us. No, All the promises of God that we know means that this surrender is the wisest thing we can possibly do. We say, not my will, but yours. I know you'll take care of me. I know whatever you ask me to do is going to be good for me and good for your kingdom. I surrender control. Daily, the Christian must surrender control to be his witnesses. Let's move on. It also requires sacrifice. In this case, it's the sacrifice of potentially crossing uh, geographical boundaries and cultural boundaries. It means potentially leaving friends and family, giving up things that they, uh, uh, the familiarity, maybe giving up comfort. Going and answering the call to be God's witnesses always costs us something. It always costs us something. There will always be things that we need to leave. Maybe plans, visions of what we will do or not do. Pleasures, possessions, people. Some of you have heard that call and responded. Yeah? Some of you have left those things behind, but it's the same for every single one of us. It's not just about the cost of something if we go to a different place. It was going to cost something to stay. Imagine staying in the most religious place that they know where most people are against them. To stay was just as hard as to go. We know this to be true because Saul becomes poor, starts to persecute them and chase them and harry them harass them it will always cost us something Jesus said in Matthew 16 whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and follow me listen to these words just to press home again this idea of the cost of being a witness because I don't want us to say yeah I want to be a witness and then go oh but no one told me it would be difficult no one told me it would cost me something Listen to this. Uh, Jesus says to them in Luke twenty-one ten uh, through 19. Actually, this is from verse 12. He says, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues. They will put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. How you will defend yourselves. For I will give you the words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Not only is there sacrifice, but there is suffering. This is the way of the Spirit-filled witness. We will face sufferings of many kinds. Again, as we, as we read through the book of Acts, we're going to see all these things that Jesus says come to fruition. Suffering is part of God's ordained means of advancing the gospel. So we have to surrender, we have to sacrifice, and we have to suffer. But fortunately, we're not left alone in this mission, and we see the power of witness isn't from ourselves, or even from our clever thinking, or our own gifts, but from the Holy Spirit himself. In fact, the faithful witness must clothe themselves in the Spirit's power. Maybe you've experienced this yourself as you wanted to do things for God and you've done things in your own strength and then you've realized, I can't do this on my own. So here we learn. Even though Jesus had taught them, equipped them, prepared them, he still told them, wait. You need another power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to be effective in what I've got to do. And it reminds us that even though we are ordinary people, equipped by God's Word, empowered by God's Spirit, and dedicated to God's Son, we can accomplish the mission of God. With God's Word, empowered by God's Spirit, and dedicated to God's Son, we can accomplish the mission of God. He's not called us to something that we cannot do. He's called us to something that we can do with Him. What does it mean for us to personally and corporately rely on the Spirit of God? This is one of the questions that I'm asking. This is one of the questions I'd love that we get answered as we go through Acts. What does it mean? What are we talking about? What is the life that God is calling to us individually and corporately? Can these things happen in our day? Can we see men, women, and children for every tribe, nation, and tongue in Birmingham come to faith? I believe the answer is yes, absolutely. But only only when, as God's people, we surrender, we sacrifice, we're willing to suffer, we're filled by God's Spirit and armed with the truth of God as we boldly proclaim it, will we accomplish the things that God wants us to do? And again, just to set our mission here in, in Birmingham in, in context, we realize that this mission isn't, isn't just about us. This is something that's happening all over the world. We're just part of something here. And maybe God has stirred your hearts from where you're from to bring you to this place and maybe some of you here, he'll stir your hearts to move you on to other places around this globe to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want a Second City. It isn't just about the growth of this church. We're not like, oh, let's grow big as a church. That will be success. No, success will be is if we grow and then we scatter. If we go to places where they've not heard, that will be success. If we're his witnesses, if we fulfill this commission to go, to Jerusalem, to Jericho, uh, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in case we don't know that this is not a New Testament thing, this is always on God's heart, here's just a couple of psalms to help us. He says at the end of the... This is from Psalm 22, 27. It says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to God, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. Psalm 33, verse 8 Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the earth revere him. Psalm verse 9. All the nations you, you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. This means that we must relinquish any prejudice that keeps us from sharing Jesus faithfully from those who are different to us. We must repent of any ethnocentric or uh, ethnocentric, I can't even say that now, ism. That's a word there somewhere. Uh, or unconcern for the unreached peoples of this world. God wants us to have a heart and a passion for all people. Our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues, from people that we don't even know. Of nations we've never Visited, he wants us to have this passion and concern in our hearts. Second City is part of his global mission, and he's working out through his people right across this globe. And many people are believing in Jesus. Let me tell you. Sometimes in the West we think, oh, Christianity, is struggling. No, it's not. The truth of the gospel is going out, it's rescuing people day after day. His kingdom is going, it's unstoppable but he wants to fill us up and send us out. And then finally, what will keep us doing this when we face the sacrifice and the suffering? Well, the passion for witness is Jesus himself. These guys were there standing, beholding him, looking up, lost in awe and wonder of, of, of the, the Savior that they loved Uh, they, They sat intently for 40 days, listening and learning. They wanted to be near him. They were sad that he was going. The only way we will fulfill this mission is if we stir our own passion for Christ. If we don't love him, how will we convince anybody else to love him? If we're not passionate about him, how will we expect others to be passionate about him? And we'll come on to this. How do we stir amongst ourselves in our own devotion to Christ? How do we stir that passion, that zeal for His name? That nothing else matters when we come before Him. A little love for Jesus and His kingdom will produce little zeal for Jesus' mission. A lot of love for Jesus and his kingdom will produce a lot of zeal for his mission and his kingdom.